Okay, I can see you all on the video. It's 8 a.m. Dan, you're up first. Progress and uh, biggest problem, biggest opportunity. Okay, so last week I committed to finishing the beta reader feedback on chapter four, and I did complete that. However, I did run into some problems. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. I was at Starbucks this morning, and you know how they got all those delicious donuts? And for whatever reason, I just needed some fuel. I felt like I couldn't do my morning work if I didn't order something. And there was the donut there with the chocolate on top, and it looked amazing, and I got the oatmeal. It doesn't happen very often, but this morning, I got the oatmeal. Because I was thinking, I'm going to work out today. I'm going to do great work today. I need quality fuel. Hopefully, this episode is like that. It might not be as delicious as the chocolate-covered donut. This is old-school block and tackle business strategy. There's like three strategies that are almost guaranteed to work that are just difficult to execute because they require you to eat the oatmeal, to choose the thing that might not be as immediately delicious but will contribute to long-term success. I'm talking about hiring, I'm talking about processes, and I'm talking about getting yourself into high-quality relationships that are honest and push you forward in your life. And that's what today's episode is about. It's about facilitating high-quality masterminds. There's nobody I know who does it better than Taylor Pearson from taylorpearson.me. So I think that there's two things that have always attracted me to masterminds. The first is it can be really hard to figure out what it takes to succeed. And another way to look at that is what does it take to not fail? And masterminds let you surround yourself with people that have common goals and put yourself in a position where you can't fail. You just can't. The embarrassment of showing up to the call and not doing what you said you're going to do is always worse than actually doing what you said. So that is always drawing me to masterminds. And the other thing is you can get people, if you structure it right and you bring the right people in, you can get people on masterminds that you couldn't pay $10,000 a month to get to consult with you. But they will get on the mastermind call if you can get the right people on the mastermind. You said it's like being the CEO of people that would never work for you. Yeah, this can, you can be the CEO of people that would never work for anyone. Interesting. So before we you know, jump into your unique approach to masterminds, how about some success stories? You know, what, what have you seen like tangible results come from this sort of arrangement? So the first two that came to mind, I've seen masterminds are 100% confidential. So all these names are fake. But I will say Jack, who went from $4 a day on the App Store to $400 a day on the App Store, all because of a mastermind. And also someone that doubled an agency. We'll say Paul doubled his agency in a year. Why couldn't they have just done that on their own? How are you going to go back and are they just being nice to you and saying, thanks, Taylor, for running the mastermind? You know, my business is so much better now. Do you believe them when they say, I mean, could you kind of identify a moment or do you feel like it was just the process? You can't ever say it's 100% with the things, but I think a lot of people join masterminds when they're stuck in a certain area. So they're stuck in sales or they're stuck in scaling and they go and they look for a mastermind to solve those problems. And then you see an inflection point. 
So if you're comparing before and after, what changed was the mastermind. And I think that's why they would and people would attribute success to masterminds. Taylor, I want to take a step back because we talk about masterminds a lot on this show. The concept in general has really been embraced by lifestyle business owners, but it's changed a lot. Like the way that we do it isn't quite the way that Napoleon Hill originally laid it out in Think and Grow Rich. So why don't we just take a brief minute you can lay out for you what a mastermind is in 2015. So for me, the fundamental core of a mastermind is four to six individuals, and I think the number is really important, that share a common goal and set of values, pushing each other and working to accelerate achieving that goal with those values. So that can be business, health, whatever, generally business in this context, but the small group, the common values, and the shared vision is the key for me. And what do you mean by values? And in terms of setups like frequency and sort of logistics, what are your preferred structure to these masterminds? It would be a bad fit if you got someone that was 100% committed to bootstrapping in a mastermind with someone that really wanted to go raise venture capital because they're going to look at solving problems in a different way. So having people that kind of share your set of business values, and I don't mean like general integrity thing, but how you run a business, how you scale a business, their approach to business being the same as yours. And then what was the other question? The other question was, you know, the basic logistical setups that you found to work the best in terms of frequency and why four to six. So four to six, I would say is optimal. You can go less. So even just, uh, I've started masterminds with one other person. We just, someone else, we hop on the phone once a week and get down to business. And I think that's super valuable. Anything over six and you just, it gets drowned out. And I think even four or five is probably better than six. And then frequency, I like weekly or bi-weekly depending on the nature of the call and depending on how many people are on there. I think if you get over four, I would go to weekly. And then some people do do them quarterly, but I've never really been a fan. You just don't get the continuity. I'm going to get a little bit wonky here because I've been in a lot of masterminds. The hot seat format is one that seems to work the best for medium-sized masterminds, like five or six people, where one week someone comes and prepares to be basically shaken down by the rest of the group. At what point do you evolve from like everybody shares their progress every week to the hot seat format? I would go straight to the hot seat. So I think the key to masterminds, even with a two-person mastermind, if it's just you and someone else, I would do one person each week. I think the key is depth. Talking about your business for 20 minutes a week, every week, as opposed to 40 minutes every other week, I think you're going to get a lot more value out of the 40 minutes because you really get to dig in deeper. So I like to go to hot seat as soon as possible and then 45 to 60 minute hot seats. And you really get a lot like the last 15 minutes tend to be the most valuable in my experience. What are some counterintuitive things about masterminds in your experience? So the first counterintuitive one is I generally dread them. So I'm almost always like, you know, when your lizard brain starts like rationalizing things, like before you have to make sales calls or before you sit down to write or whatever, like the creative challenges, like my lizard brain goes nuts before mastermind calls because it's like, you know, in some way I didn't perfectly fulfill everything I set out to fulfill and I got to come and like own up to that. And I know that the people on the call are going to dig into me because that's what I want the people on the call to do. And so my lizard brain is freaking out. And sometimes I'll, I'll get on the calls and I'll be getting like really good feedback and I just have to like shut down the lizard brain and like my face will just go blank and I'm just taking notes, taking people's feedback. The other thing counterintuitive about mastermind is the most value I get is people who share my values but have different approaches. So the example I always use is like Abraham Lincoln's cabinet that as soon as he was elected president, he got everyone of his political rivals 
on his cabinet. So they all had this common goal of preserve the union, but they all had very different approaches as to how they thought that should be done. And masterminds function, in my experience, in much the same way. If people that share your values and share your goals, but have a different approach or a drastically different approach to how that's there, the friction of those coming together is really what makes it stronger. I like to find people that are going to give me a lot of pushback. What's the difference for you in value between leading and joining a mastermind. So being the CEO of a mastermind, do you get extra value from taking the initiative? So the opportunity for me for being the CEO, I guess I'm CEOing too right now, is you get to mastermind up. So people say like network up and talking about being the CEO of people that you couldn't pay, you know, a thousand dollars a week to consult with you. That's the opportunity. You can pick people and be the connector. So you can go pick four people whose businesses you like, whose businesses you'd like to be running in five years and have a similar business. And you can be the connector and you can say, you know, I'm, I'm going to put these guys together. And then you're the one that gets to be on the call. So in my experience, Taylor, trying to facilitate masterminds in the DC, the two big friction points are how can I find a mastermind? And we'll get to that one at the end. And then the second one is actually leading a mastermind. There tends to be a leadership vacuum. And I think it's just because it's not clear how to run one and it's not always explicit. So if you have an intuition about say, oh, this person needs to go or, you know, we need to change directions this way because it's not codified. There's not a book about how to do this. People don't always feel empowered to do those things. So I'd like to hear from you. What do you feel like are the three biggest mistakes that mastermind CEOs make? The biggest one is not being the CEO. And this is off the cuff. It just came to me. But I think maybe there's like a dating corollary here or even just like a meeting new people corollary. Like the tendency is always you want to be like friendly, right? Like where are you from? What do you do? You ask questions that are low friction. Like there's no downside to those questions, but there's also no upside. And all the value in masterminds in general and definitely being the CEO is asking the high friction questions. So asking the questions that make people uncomfortable and it's really, it's pure upside because either they dig it and they're into it and they push back and you get a really high quality mastermind or if they don't like it, then you want that person out of the mastermind or you want to get in a different mastermind because you're not going to get a lot of value out of it. Letting it turn into like a social chit chat or a social hour is the most common problem I've seen. And you said the second most common problem you see is being inconsistent. So how does this come about? This is kind of a secondary point to saying the tone like a CEO. Like if you were running a business and you had a meeting and someone just showed up like every second week or every third week, or maybe you couldn't make it except for a couple times a month, that can tend to happen. And no one's inconsistent and no one treats it as like a real commitment. It's just like a, oh, when it's convenient thing. And you lose all the trust and the depth from that. And finally, you said not being 100% confident. Have you had problems in masterminds with people leaking information? I've had one minor problem once, which was incidental and didn't turn out to be a major issue. But I think this you hear, and this goes back to trust, is like trust is king. Again, it's like the depth when everything gets really deep and everyone's willing to be insecure about these are the biggest problems, the biggest failures I have like personally and in my business. Like that's when those people can get in there and like really help you dig into those. And that's the most valuable stuff. But if people don't feel like everything on there is confidential and everything is on there is secure, that's never going to come out because no one's going to air that out if they feel like this could leak out and this could get back to my employees or this could get back to people in my network that I don't want to know about it. And it also lets you dig into like the really cool nitty gritty details. 
like industry profit margins, like stuff you can't find anywhere else. Yeah. Revenue numbers, like, and that's super, super, super valuable. One of the things I think, you know, mastermind facilitators have a problem with is onboarding new members and getting rid of bad eggs. So what are your processes for this? Because what if there's just some person in your group that's killing the chemistry for whatever reason? What do you do about that? Yeah, that's tough. I've been to one mastermind where someone was asked to leave. And the way we handled it was we basically put down some criteria of we don't feel like you're fulfilling the obligations to the mastermind. And in order for you to fulfill those, here's what it looks like, ABC. If you do those, come back and let's talk again in eight weeks. And then we just, we didn't hear from that person again. So that was kind of the end of it. So giving some on that option. But if they're not going to take it seriously, then yeah, it's not a good fit. In terms of onboarding, knowing the person really well. So I've never asked someone to be in a mastermind that I haven't talked to in person before. It's like being very, very selective with people and having a pretty good relationship with them on the front end is probably the most important thing. And then making sure long-term goals and values are lined up would be the next thing. Yeah, me and you actually were in a mastermind together and we recently wrote out like what would be the requirements for somebody to join us. They're pretty hardcore. And I thought that was a really fun exercise actually to help like define what our group's about and what our shared values are. Yeah, and I think you can personalize it for every mastermind. Again, like the trap to avoid though is turning it into a social hour. And it, it can be tricky, especially like if you have someone that you're socially on good terms with, but maybe doesn't share your business goals, bringing them into the mastermind and how to handle that. Right. So having like some really defined criteria where it doesn't get personal, it's just like these are the criteria for the mastermind and being able to send those out can keep those social relationships going. And then if that's something they want to commit to, great. But if not, then it's not a good fit. One thing I want to say, you know, I, I think like this is where a lot of people get hung up on like running businesses and masterminds in general is, you know, some people are going to bristle at this idea of if you've got four people in a group and one bad egg and you're spending two hours a week like preparing and executing a call with those people and you're not willing to find a way to get that person out of there. <laughs> like that's the kind of CEO move that's required to grow a successful business. So in other words, it's it's training for those kinds of things. It's way easier to do that than it is to take away someone's livelihood or to reorganize a company. You know what I'm saying? So I think if you're not willing to do these kinds of things, it might be a good gut check. Like, are you really up for this entrepreneurship thing? You also get to see if you do it right or if you kind of CEO up or mastermind up, you get to see what people running bigger businesses looks like. I mean, one of the things I struggle with a lot is like, what does my business look like in three to five years? And so masterminding up gives me like this in-depth insight into all these different models. And I have all these different ideas for what that looks like. Like, what do I need to be doing on a day-to-day basis to get to where I want to be in three to five years? All right, let's talk about some nuts and bolts, Taylor, in terms of how you actually execute an efficient mastermind. And you do. What are the tools that you found most useful? Google Calendar recurring invites. Let me just walk through the process here. So when I'm getting a mastermind started, I generally have a person or two in mind that I want to bring in. And what I'll do is I'll put together the SOP and then basically write a sales letter. So the SOP for me is basically going to be five to 10 minutes round robin. So that's going to ever be going to give a quick status update. And then one person is going to be on the hot seat for that call. And then if I'm CEOing it, I'll be the one taking notes. So there's basically two documents in Google Docs, the SOP document and the notes document. 
document and then I'll just write a sales letter. So I'm trying to sell this mastermind to people I went into it. I'll pop open Gmail, write a sales letter to them, bring them into the mastermind. We'll get on, do an orientation call. And then you set up a Google Calendar recurring invite, either a Google Hangout. I do a couple in Google Hangouts, which works well as long as everyone's connection is stable. And if connections are faulty, I think GoToMeeting can be a better tool in some cases. And you find this better than Skype because people just click and they're in the call, right? Or is it because of the video thing or? Yeah, Skype has just really gone downhill over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Like Skype's turning a long way and Hangout seems to be getting better and better. GoToMeeting is getting worse. So yeah, if I had to pick one now, I'd probably go Hangouts. And then other tool I think is good questions. And this kind of comes back to the trust thing, understanding how to ask effective questions for you as the CEO and for everyone else on the mastermind. And I think someone has to set the tone for what those kind of questions are going to be. Are they going to be kind of like broad generic questions or are they going to be more incisive? You know, questions I like are things like, what are you thinking but not saying? A lot of times someone will be giving feedback and you can tell they're kind of holding back. Right. And you want to pull that out of them and figure out what it is. Another thing is like forcing people to get clear on their desired outcomes. Yes. People will waffle on that a lot. It's like, you got to get clear on what you want before we can help you. And I think that's when you come to a mastermind as the guy starting it or participating, or whatever, like you need to be really, really clear on what you want to get out of it. Because the one thing no one on the mastermind can do is help you figure out what you want. Like you got to know that coming in. All right. So I think a lot of people are going to be saying, Taylor, I want a mastermind. But the biggest problem point is how do I start one? And of course, we facilitate those kinds of things inside the DC, but not everybody wants to be a part of the DC. So if you weren't in there, obviously, it's still possible. How would you go about it? Building out of an in-person network. And I'm in one that's part DC and part not DC. And it's just built on an in-person network. We started with, I think, two or three guys and then reached out to other similar people we knew and were able to bring it together. So again, like being able to vet people, I think is really important and having an in-person relationship with them is the best possible way to do that. You just get so much more context. If I wasn't in a situation where I could put it together in person, I would pick, I think the people you want to identify or see where your business, where you want it to be in five to 10 years, pick the people that have the closest business model to that and start reaching out to those people. So I would maybe spend, you know, a month or two and stalk them on Twitter, talk to them, and then try and get them in a mastermind. Yeah, I mean, it might be best to talk to them for a different reason first. Yeah. Because it's hard to give people a questionnaire and figure out whether they jibed with your values. Yeah, for sure. I think definitely get them on the phone. I would start in person. Like if you told me I I had to go start another mastermind, like I would look at the top people in my network that I hang out with now and I would find a way to get them in a mastermind. So Taylor, would you be willing to share your SOPs with the TMBA audience so that we can all be effective mastermind CEOs? Yeah, I'll send you over the SOP template and the notes template I use. All right. As always, thanks for joining us, Taylor. And I'm quaking in my boots because in 48 hours, I got a call with you and I got to show up with the goods. So I'm going to get to work. We'll see how it goes. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.